have your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. You ever encounter a situation in life or people in life that is just so outrageous, you feel like you have to make up a word to describe it? I, uh, as I've shared with you many, many times, I'm not a patient man. And so the Lord is constantly putting me into circumstances that require patience because tribulation works patience. One of the things that used to aggravate me so badly, used to, still does, is you'd go to a convention, right, Southern Baptist Convention. So you got 30,000 people in the building. And they're moving on escalators, primarily, between floors of the convention center. And so you're going down the escalator, and it's so crowded, you can't really move. And, and here's Gertrude and Ethel, who are almost at the bottom. And they see Fred and Susie, who are at the bottom, and they're old friends. So they stop at the bottom of the escalator and have old home week. Well, what are we going to do? I mean, it's not like we can go down in the basement where the stairs all go. So, but they're just standing there. Or you get, or you get guys who, four or five of them, standing around in the hallway, uh, trying to book each other for a revival, and they're blocking the whole hallway. So I, I coined a term to describe those people: oblivions. They're oblivions. They're oblivious to the world around them. They're the only ones walking on the planet. No one else knows anything uh, or matters to them. It, it's kind of like Paul didn't really invent a word, although in some places he has in the New Testament. But as we come here to the second half of uh, Romans 5.20, which is one of the great verses in the Bible. 5.20 is a magnificent verse and it stands out like a, a brilliant light on a, on a dark, cloudy, cloudy night. Uh, and, and against all of this horror in the world, Paul says, But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That sentence is so wonderful that it is one of those that's very difficult to do justice to it in a translation. Paul used two different Greek words for uh, increased and abounded. And the strength of the verse is enhanced by the contrast that he makes. Uh, the, the Greek word that refers to the increase of sin is based upon a term which means much. Are many. So the verb has the idea of a numerical increase. The second word is different. It is a verb which means to abound, to overflow, to have more than enough. And the verb does not have to do so much with numbers as with excess. It, it just excess. It just it, it just flows like a, a mighty river. Uh, and then Unless we miss the point, Paul adds the prefix hyper to this abundance. We would say super abundance or super duper abundance. A lot. Uh, 
the, the, the idea here is uh, abundant excess. Uh, it's interesting to look at how various translations translate the verse. The New English Bible says, Where sin was thus multiplied, grace immeasurably exceeded it. J.B. Phillips paraphrases the verse saying, Though sin is shown to be wide and deep, thank God his grace is wider and deeper still. And even that doesn't really do justice to it. One commentator suggests that we would translate it, where sin reached a high water mark, grace completely flooded the world. Uh, another idea is the idea of overflowing, as if a dam has burst and a mighty flood has been let loose that sweeps aside everything in its path. It, we might use the term engulfed. It is such a superabundance that it engulfs and drowns everything in its path. What Paul says of grace in this verse prepares us for what he's going to say in the continuation of the sentence. Because in verse 21, he's going to show that although sin has triumphed over us, grace has now triumphed over sin and reigns victoriously. Most of you have heard of John Bunyan, who was a uh, English preacher, and Romans 5.20 was the text of John Bunyan. Bunyan is best known for writing the book The Pilgrim's Progress, uh, a Christian classic that every Christian should read, uh, and it describes his spiritual experience. But he wrote uh, a classic devotional autobiography that he liked a lot better. And that book was called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And the title was taken from Romans 5.20 and from 1 Timothy 1, 13 through 16. Bunyan was born in 1628. Uh, his parents were poor. His father was a tinker. He mended pots and pans. And so Bunyan followed in his father's footsteps, and he became known as the Tinker of Bedford. He had very little formal education. As a young man, he lived a very, very sinful life and finally became overwhelmed with a sense of his own sin and a conviction of it. Uh, and he said of his early life, it was if the sun that shines in the heaven did grudge to give light. And as if the very stones on the street and the tiles on the houses did bend themselves against me, that they were combined to banish me out of the world. I was abhorred of them. I was unfit to dwell among them are to be partaker of their benefits because I had so grievously sinned against the Savior. God saved John Bunyan, gave him a, a great peace. And the title of his autobiography spells that out. 
grace abounding to the chief of sinners. Bunyan learned that no matter how great his sin was, the grace of God proved itself to be greater. I want to make a couple of points about the superabounding grace of God this morning. Number one, grace is not restrained. Grace is not withheld because of sin. We need to understand that because in our normal everyday lives, we have a tendency not to operate that way. If we are offended by someone, if someone offends us, we withdraw from them. From them. And we restrain any personal favor that we might show them. If someone offends us greatly, it's hard to even be civil to them. God's not like that. God is not like that. Yet we expect him to be many times. Many times when we sin, we, we don't go to God and ask for forgiveness because we don't deserve it. We think to ourselves, well, I don't deserve forgiveness. Well, of course you don't. No one deserves forgiveness. No one deserves grace and mercy. And yet God gives it. That is the message of the Bible. God never restrains, never withholds his grace. That's the whole idea Paul has here. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Think of Adam and Eve. What happened when they sinned? They feared that God would, would withhold his grace. So what? What did they do? They went and hid themselves. Because God had been good to them. He had given them everything they needed. He only gave them one prohibition. And they broke it. And when God came calling to them in the garden, they hid in fear. Thinking that, Judgment was about to be executed because God had said, In the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. But God's judgment did not come. Now, it did in a sense that they were separated from God. But where sin increased, grace super abounded. What did God do? The first blood ever shed on this planet was shed by Almighty God. To provide a covering for Adam and Eve. Uh, the word covering you know of course in the Hebrew is also translated atonement. God made atonement for them. God showed them mercy and grace. Grace was not withheld because of their sin. On the contrary, grace abounded over their sin. Think of Israel in the days of Moses. The people had come to Mount Sinai where the law of God was given. And on the mountain, God told Moses, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. What were the people of Israel doing at that very time? Do you remember? Well, they'd gathered up their gold and had Aaron fashion a golden calf. And they were dancing around it like a bunch of drunken sailors. Well, my apology to sailors. But they were, they were doing the very thing that God said don't do. They were taking his name in vain. They were dishonoring their fathers and their mothers, committing adultery, 
stealing, bearing false witness, coveting, and other things beside. Was this a barrier to God's grace? No. Because on that very mountain where God gave the law, where he gave the Ten Commandments, he gave also the specifications for the altar, for the tabernacle, for the priesthood, for the method of approaching him. Though he was still holy, he made a way that they might be forgiven, that they might have the forgiveness of sin and atonement, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Sin rolled as high as Mount Sinai, and grace rolled as high as heaven. Think of, think of Simon Peter. Simon Peter has always, to me, been an interesting man. The, the two men in the Bible I think intrigued me the most are Simon Peter and the dying thief. But Simon, Simon Peter was a, apparently a very a, a big man, physically imposing. And remember when Jesus warned the disciples, you're all going to run away, Peter in essence said, these wimps may run. Uh-uh, not old Watash. I'm going to stand and I'll, I will fight them all. And then you remember what happened. How he was humiliated in the garden and then follows Jesus and denies him three times with cursing and bitterness. So, when Jesus saw Peter after the resurrection, what did he do? He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. God forgave Peter. God recommissioned him. He indeed became not Simon, but Peter, the rock who stood for Jesus. The same thing was true of the Apostle Paul. who gives us the text that we have here. Paul's testimony is nearly identical to John Bunyan's. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, hauling Christians out of their homes, killing them, breathing out threatening and slaughter. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him and saved him. And Paul told the Corinthians, For I am the least of the apostles. I do not deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God was in me. All of these people experienced what Paul is saying here in Romans 5.20, that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Many people in the world today have very little awareness of their sin, which shows you how desperate our situation has become in the world today. But perhaps you're one like Bunyan. Perhaps you're very conscious of your sinfulness. Perhaps you are not a believer and think that you may have forfeited an opportunity of salvation because your sin is so great. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Or perhaps you're a believer 
and feel that you are outside of the realm of forgiveness because you have committed this sin. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Whatever your sin is, grace is greater than all your sin. No dam erected by sin can hold back the overflowing abundance of the grace of God. Grace is never withheld because of sin. Not Adam's sin, not the children of Israel at Sinai, not Peter, not Paul, not John Bunyan, not me, not you. Come to Jesus and find that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Whatever you have done, you can repent of sin, find full forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Believer, whatever you have done, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Do not be afraid to come to Christ, no matter what your sin is. For he will provide grace that is much, much, much greater than all your sin. Grace is not restrained. Number two, grace is not reduced. The superabounding grace of God is never reduced because of sin. There is an unlimited supply of grace available. Sometimes people think that uh, there's just so much grace to go around, you know, and you can use it all up, you know. I mean, you, you get to the point where oh, there ain't no more. They envision God as looking down on mankind. And seeing a great variety of sinners who need salvation. One man's fairly good, but still he's not perfect. He can only be saved by grace, of course. So God dips into his bucket of grace, sprinkles a little bit on him, and he becomes a Christian. There's other people who are, ah, they're good, but not quite good. And there's others who are just plain evil. Some people need more grace than others. That's not the way it works. <laughs> we all need grace. And when God gives His grace, He doesn't limit it. It is not given by measure. It overflows. It superabounds. The grace of God is really like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. It, it just washes us away in the mercy and the forgiveness of God. Grace provides 100% of everything that is necessary to live in this life for 100% of the people that God is saving and that He saves. Grace is sufficient. Ah, oh, Brother Bob, you don't know my circumstances. You're right, I don't. I know my God. I know my God. And I know that His grace is sufficient for every hour. Oh, Brother Bob, if, if God would just if God would just remove this problem I've got, I, I have this tendency toward this thing. If God would just take that out of the way, I, He may not take that out of the way. But I 
I will guarantee you on the promise of his word, he will give you grace to endure it. His grace is sufficient for every hour. It is not possible. It is not possible to fall from grace. Now, I know that there is a verse of Scripture in the book of Galatians where Paul says to them they've fallen away from sin. That doesn't mean they've lost their salvation. It means they've started walking like legalists. They've begun to think that their own life can please God apart from grace. So they've fallen away from a life of grace and fallen in, into a life of legalism. They think that they can please God by their own efforts. Well, forget that idea. Your sin cannot keep God's grace from flowing to you. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's some heinous sin of the flesh, adultery or whatever, or if it's doubt or anxiety, if it's even unbelief. We oftentimes are like the man who said, Lord, I believe, help mine unbelief. God's grace super abounds. Now, I, I don't mean, I don't mean to suggest for even a half of a second that God condoned sin. No. God hates sin so bad that he became a man and endured the cross to rescue men and women from the tyranny of sin and to give you victory over it. The point I'm trying to make here is that God will never diminish His grace toward you because of your sin. Not ever. Many is the time on Sunday morning I've gotten up and thought over the past week as I, I go to the Lord in prayer and I think of this and that. You know, Satan works 168 hours a week to get you to sin. And then once you do it, he goes to work convincing you that you can't be forgiven. Ah! Well, you're not going to get up and preach to those people after what you did. Well, I think I will. Because where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. God will never withhold His grace because of your sin. That... that that is what Paul is saying here. I've mentioned several times over the years the conversion of John Newton. And yet, it is so appropriate for this text as well. John Newton lived from 1725 to 1807. He was raised in a Christian home. And he was taught verses of the Bible. But his mother died when he was only six years old, and he was sent to live with a relative who hated Christianity, who mocked Christianity and hated the Bible. When he was a very young man, Newton went to sea as an apprentice seaman, and he lived an extremely sinful life, like, like Bunyan. It was said that Newton had the dubious reputation that he could swear and curse for two hours without ever repeating himself. At one point, Newton was captured and was conscripted into the British Navy. But he deserted and was captured and publicly beaten as a punishment. Eventually, he signed on with the Merchant Marine and went to Africa. 
And when someone asked him why Africa, he said, so that I can send my field. In Africa, Newton fell in with a Portuguese slave trader in whose home he was very, very cruelly treated. The slaver would leave on expeditions to capture men to enslave them. And when he was gone, the power in the home passed to the uh, slave trader's African wife who hated white men. And she would chain Newton up, put his food on a dirt floor, make him eat it without touching it with his hands, beat him like beating a dog. Uh, it was just a terrible existence. And finally, Newton got away and made his way to a British ship that was on the African coast on its way to England. When the captain of the ship learned that Newton knew something about navigation, and as a result of his time in the British Navy, he made him a ship's mate. <laughs> Even then, Newton couldn't stay out of trouble. One day when the captain was gone, he broke into the ship's supply of rum, got all the men on the ship drunk. He was so drunk himself, he fell overboard and would have drowned if a couple of men had not pulled him to safety. So Newton was taken off of the deck, his duties there, and put down into the hold of the ship. Near the end of the voyage, as they were approaching Scotland, they ran into a horrible storm, bad weather. Newton was sent down into the hold to pump water. The storm lasted for days. Newton was terrified. He was sure that the ship was going to sink and he was going to die. But there in the hold of the ship, as he desperately pumped water, he cried out to God and asked God to save him, a sinner. He did. The way of salvation was open to him. He was born again, marvelously, gloriously transformed. He eventually made his way back to England. He began to study theology and became a distinguished preacher, first in a little town called Olney, and later in London. Newton had a good friend by the name of William Cowper. And Cowper wrote a poem about Newton's conversion experience in the hold of that ship. The first line of the poem goes... God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footstep on the sea and rides upon the storm. Newton also became a poet, as well as a theologian. And of his experience, he wrote these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Newton was a great preacher of grace, for he had learned on a very personal level that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Let this verse get hold of your life. Read it over and over and over until you truly believe it, that there is nothing greater than the grace of God, that where sin increases, grace will superabound more and more. Let's pray. 
Our Father and our God, 